This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome back to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today we're going to finish things up with Armin Winkler, doing three-part series with Armin. We were going to do two, but in part two we got a little bit long, so I divided part two into two sections, so we've got the third part and the final part today. So let me, I just want to, I want to jump in and make sure I'm clear. So you've done at a distance, he's got to lay down and control himself. You've moved him up a few times to where now he's closer. He's got to lay down, control himself. He's getting a bite. And on those bites, you're slipping the jacket, mm-hmm. giving him the jacket. And then from yes. that, you're teaching him release that jacket. Yeah. And then you're Well, re- all, I think that's parallel. Like sure. you know, throughout the dog's training, whatever we're doing, building up to that, the dog needs to know that out means let go of whatever you have in your mouth. And I want that to be an inanimate object, like a jacket, a sleeve, a tug, or a ball, because I don't want to have the emotional attachments that come with biting a person. All right. So then the next thing is that the handler needs to understand what's going on in the dog's psyche emotionally during the bite. So as we talked earlier, while I don't do a lot of defensive agitation, I certainly put the dog into some very precarious situations when he's biting, right? So the dog will feel defense. The dog will feel fear for his own safety. There's no question. You cannot train a a police dog without exposing him to worry because there will be worrisome situations that the dog will encounter. That's an absolute must. And what do we teach him? We teach him if it scares you, bite it harder. If it scares you, just hold on. It'll go away. We teach the dog that he can conquer his fear with biting, right? We also teach him that if a guy tries to control you, push in, bite harder, wrap him with your legs, do something physical to the guy to control him so he can control you, right? And then, so we have to understand that when we ask the dog to let go, He's not just letting go of the bite. Yeah. He is letting go of his control. He's letting go of his only technique to remain safe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And at the last thing, which is of lesser importance, but can in training be quite full of conflict, is the dog now has to also relinquish his biggest prize to his opponent. And it's going to be taken away from him. So he has a feeling of losing safety, losing control, and being deprived of something that has significant value to him. Mm -hmm. And we need to convince him that those things are not true. And this takes a lot of patience. (laughs) Yeah. And it takes a lot of sort of keeping your own cool when dogs make mistakes. For me, when I do this and I decoy this myself 99% of the time, it's really important that we leave the dog there. 
whether the dog is put in a down already or whether the dog is held by the chest or by the vest or something like that or by the harness, doesn't matter so much. We want to help the dog be physically stable and stationary and we're going to tell him to out. And we're going to kind of hover him over the decoy a little bit so he has a superior position and then we're going to tell the dog to let go. He should already kind of know a little bit what letting go means. Sure. Because of the other work we have done, so hopefully he lets go. If he doesn't, we're going to influence him. So my preferred way of doing it is the e-collar. So I will usually work the controller as the decoy because I can feel what the dog is doing. And I will give the dog a shot, and I see whether he lets go. If it takes multiples, I give him multiples. doesn't matter to me. He needs to take his mouth off me. And then we need to see what happens. Very often, the first thing that happens is that the dog will take a couple of shots at you. Because he doesn't know it's safe yet, yeah, right? Yeah. And I always use the analogy like with with a human counterpart. Like the first real fight you got into on the street with a guy that, that was a fairly even match to you. And once you got the upper hand, you weren't going to take your hands off the guy until he was in cuffs. So you had two other guys on him, right? Yeah. You had to know, you had to feel yourself that it was safe to let go of him, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the dog has to learn that as well. And he has to read the situation long enough to know that. So the first thing that happens is where, when he lets go, if you bump him with the e-collar, he, he pops off the bite and he sees you still right there and he goes, oh my God, now he can do A, B, now he can kill me. So he's going to take a couple of shots. You can ignore those. If he really latches on again, it has to be another out command. But people start punishing those little making sure that I'm safe shots, which are an important part of the process for the dog to learn that when you said let go, it was safe for him to let go. That's so, crucial for yeah, me. Let me, let me right? jump in right there. You're going to mm-hmm. accept these rebites at this point with the idea that down the road, they're not going to be acceptable, right? Correct. They, and they will go away and... For me, they're just shots. Now, if the dog actually sort of lets go, pauses, and then latches on again, then it's another out. Sure. But if the dog sort of does these, they're almost they're very hectic looking, and they're kind of really just sort of gestures to to make sure I can't do anything, right? That to maintain his own safety. Yeah. He's just yeah. trying to make sure that he that he's not gonna give me the yeah. upper hand or give me a chance to to be a dick to him again. And I just I so just say that, that because I think sometimes we get so, again, we're so concentrated yeah, on yeah. the end result that yeah. the steps in between, people think it's unacceptable from day one. Yeah. We're training here, so it's, it's, yeah. it's okay now, to... Everybody's, everybody talks about successive approximation when we're doing clicker shaping, Yeah, right? But nobody wants to use successive approximation when it's something like this. Sure. The different self-learning, the dog has to figure out that it's safe. How does he do that? Well, we need to give him a chance to feel it. We need to give him a chance to figure it out. So anyways, I ignore those shots, wait until the dog kind of goes into kind of a stare. I want him to definitely look at me, not avoid, not look away. And I want him to sort of hunger for another chance to bite. So as soon as I see that, and he's stopped with the shots, we will give the dog the the command to bite. And now we need to, again, read how does the dog bite? 
How, do, how full does he bite? How hard does he bite? Very often, the first thing that I see is that the dog's mouth is typically perpendicular at 90 degrees to, a bite, to the bite surface he let go of, right? Yeah. That's the closest opportunity to bite to his mouth. And then the handler says, bite him. And the dog turns his head and bites four inches over. Why? Because that last area meant something negative. That's right. Yeah. Correct. He made a, a bad association, and that's still stuck in his head. Biting is wrong, or biting on that spot that, is that wrong. Got spot. me in trouble. Yeah. So I need to erase that. So I will do this over and over and over until I have this dog letting go, staring, hovering over me, basically feeling safe, feeling in control, and feeling that his biggest prize, the suit on me, is still there for his taking. Those are the three emotional components that the dog must absolutely learn as part of out training. So because not, to, not to keep beating a dead horse, but I, I mean, <laughs> these little things are, are important. So again, and I think maybe maybe those are overlooked a lot of times. So we get that first release, mm-hmm. then you're you're not only paying attention to the, the release, now you're paying more attention to the next bite. and The re-engagement, yeah. And I'll... I pay attention to the body language after the release. Right? You know what I mean? Like he has to feel, he has to feel comfortable. He has to feel strong. He has to feel good about himself. The out cannot make the dog feel small. The out cannot make a dog feel bad about himself or that biting is a punishable offense. That's where I want to ask a few things. So you mentioned the dog moves down, say if he's biting on the tricep and now he's moved down a little ways to a new spot. What are you going to do specifically to address that one behavior? We're probably going to out him again and ask him to do the same thing again. And basically, I will play around with that, and I will change positions sometimes. If the dog has me, you know, by the tricep, and that's not as good, I may try the other tricep. I may try try to not have the handler hold him, but actually lay on the ground so that the dog can be put in a down and then ask to out, so he's already physically prone when we're telling him to let go. So all he has to do is hold still and, and focus. But that part is crucial for me. If the dog does not feel that outing is okay, he will never out willingly yeah. and on command. Because for him, it goes contrary to his own success. And, so I, and the reason I bring that up is because... You're going to concentrate on that, right? You're not right. thinking more about the dog opening his mouth. Now you're yeah. thinking about he's already opened his mouth. Now when he comes back for that second bite, you're going to work that split second. Where does he bite? What's his mindset? And you're going to make sure he's confident then. And I think, would you agree that I think that part is overlooked a lot of times? Yes, it's, it's overlooked most times. A lot of times it's made, like for me, I will do the beginning outing in a prone position myself and then I'll go on my knees and I prop myself on a counter or on a couch or something like that and that's when we start telling the dog now he has to do something we help them to let go maybe with a little physical guidance and then we ask them to lay down standing over a dog standing upright how is the dog supposed to feel that he's in charge when he's laying flat on the ground and you're you're hulking yep. That's it's impossible. And, and this emotional for the dog to learn this, what people don't understand is there is nothing we can really do to communicate that to him. We have to just be there and we have to let him be there 
in order to feel it because he has to feel it. If he doesn't feel it, it's not there. It's not happening. Right. So even doing like an out recall, I will do the out recall, but I will always do the out down first in the teaching segment. And then I do the same thing again. I will put a dog in the down two feet from me. Handler goes to whatever position he's at. The dog's not getting a bite. The dog is told to come in the heel position. And then when he comes in a heel position with a little leash help or e-help, whatever implement you use, the dog goes next to the handler, downs. As the decoy, I will walk to the dog, and the dog will get his bite there. And again, same standard. The dog should bite as hard as he would bite when he's sent down range. Sure. The, the dog should not lose any power. The dog should not be chewy or conflicted about having to change position. So again, I teach the repositioning before I teach him out and reposition. Because if the repositioning is not successful for the dog, then why would he do it? Yeah. He will do it under protest for the rest of his life. I don't want him to do it under protest. Hey, buddy, come right here. He says, but the guy's over there. Nobody come right here next to me. No, but he's way over there. Just come here and let me show you. And then the dog comes here and then the bite comes to him. I think we, again, I, I keep stressing that we just look at the end game a lot of times. For certification, I need the dog to, to release and I'm not paying attention to the nuances of the dog's mindset. So, Thinking of this show as maybe to help a trainer who's presented with a problem, if somebody comes to you and say they've got a dog, they've two, three-year-old dog that's a, a pretty nice high-drive dog that has always been protesting the bite, maybe has, has had more of a traditional out taught to him to where it's just a constant battle where every training day we're working on this dog's out and it's the same, it's new tra- new day every training day we're doing the same thing. In this technique that you're describing, how long are we going to be doing these steps? Just so people know that they're listening to this, that they're going to try these techniques. How long should they expect to be to be at these steps? Okay, so for me, I lay a lot of foundation for this because I, I make the dog's cap pretty much for all bite work so that capping is already there. So every once in a while, we do a session in school, like you know, a few weeks before we're doing the out where we do close proximity biting where we put the dog into the down in close proximity. We may incorporate the repositioning stuff there already. So I lay a bit of a foundation. And then the outing, the verbal release into a down, like out, down, here, push, is basically two sessions. But but they have the What's foundation. The, so my yes. question is, is it suppose... So with the problem solving, you have to see yeah. how bad the problem is. Like, for example, there was a dog in a military unit, whose name I can't say, but he'd had over 100 bites overseas. He'd been injured. He had been hit with hot shrapnel on bites and stuff like that. And basically, he wasn't outing anymore. They tried him on a table. They tried him, you know, with however many e-collars they could fit on him. They tried everything to get this dog out. Because the one time that they do use a verbal release and want the verbal release is if a dog bites somebody with an explosive device on yeah. them. Yeah. They obviously don't want to plant the dog. So we did this. And I took a beating to let this good old boy (laughs) feel that it was safe for him to let go again. But it took me about a day and we had 
a verbal release. The handler had to still stabilize the dog's body, but within a day, and we probably did four sessions that day that each lasted probably between five and 10 minutes. But within a day, I had him doing the, the verbal release with handler support. And then it took another two days to get him to out, down, and recall. So that's you know, would he have done it you know, with, with, with all kinds of shooting going on and all kinds of you know, helicopters hovering over top and all the other stimulations that would make the dog go levels and levels and levels higher? Uh, we weren't there yet, but that's sure. all stuff that you have to add to it. All yeah. people have to understand there's, you know, just because a dog can out in prey drive, meaning he's biting the equipment with no malice towards the man in the equipment, is a lot easier than when a dog wants to harm the person inside the suit. Sure. And, you know, I've, I've worked dogs, I've worked seminars all over. In Europe, there's the big trend to do the outing to a toy, here to a Kong or here to a ball. And there was one police dog, pretty nice dog at one seminar, and he kept arguing with me that this is reliable and blah, blah, blah. And I said, not if he's pissed off. Yeah. If he's pissed off. And sure enough, it took me... It, it took me half a minute and the dog basically told him to shove his Kong up his ass because he, it just, the value wasn't there anymore. Like the French ring out recall that they have is spectacular looking, but they pick dogs that are so into the equipment. Yeah. They will bite suit on the ground and never look at a guy that doesn't have equipment yeah. on. Yeah. That's a lot easier. They're trading one big toy for a small toy. We can't do that. It's not, there may be one in a hundred police dogs that can do that. But the other 99 will fail with that method. We need to teach them that it's safe to let go. And well, we need to make sure that all this, the dog can cap every, everything that makes him want to bite needs to be capped. If well, he can't and, cap all that, yeah. I want to it's ask you going to be a recipe on, for failure. On the toy, too, my issue with the toy, and I've used it successfully a few times just to at least get the behavior going, yeah. then all it will instill some type of obedience because to me the dog that just opens his mouth and runs back to grab the toy there's no obedience to that it's the dog is still doing what he wants to do so um and he's playing to a toy exactly yeah yeah so he <laughs> yeah. there there's no control in the dog it's just the dog still it's like okay I want to do that but now I want to do this and I'm still get to do it you aren't changing my mind so I like it sometimes to lay a foundation, but I think think it's a crutch sometimes where, and I've yep. seen that same thing where, where once the dog's in a good solid drive, they don't want a Kong anymore. So, yeah, but, I mean because what they're after with an opponent can't be delivered by the Kong. The problem that I see with the the verbal release training that is becoming more and more prevalent just for for PR within this day and age of negative police PR is people want. They want the verbal release and almost like they don't care how they get it. And they should care. Reliable engagement is the number one reason for a patrol dog to exist. He saves lives by doing that. We can never, ever take that away from him. I'm still here, and I t tell people that in every lecture. The reason I'm still standing here teaching is because my dog saved my life several times. And I will never do any training that would jeopardize a dog's ability to save his handler's life just for a pretty certification picture or, or something like that, or appeasing an administrator. The dogs can learn the out. There's no question there. It's just, I think people sometimes 
think that not outing is disobedience. They think that not outing is defiance. It is giving the handler the finger or just being like resistant to, to obeying a simple command. It is not. It is a very, very complex thing. And if it's taught right, it's very reliable. Like we do, we actually do fun drills, like with the tactical team. If I have at least a, another decoy with me, we will send the dog into a room doing like a CQB sort of a setup. And we will send the dog in, the dog bites, the handler stays in the hallway, out recall, the other team members direct the dog into one of the other rooms, other decoys waiting there. Then the, the first sure. bunny hops to the next room and we basically zigzag down through an empty tool. And the dog does out recall and send into another bite. It speeds out the recall. It makes the dog very willing to come back out in the hallway. It's a game though. It's a game to speed up yeah. certain parts of this. If the dog doesn't have a good release, it's all worthless. So we do games like that, but they are just to speed certain things up and to make to make certain things possible. If they ever do need that quick verbal out, the dog is much more willing to do it. You know, we we play around with the intensity levels of the dogs to make sure that the dog sure. will do it even at high intensity. Because a lot of times, look, the certification, I would rather that certification had a liftoff in it and a lot of decision-making tests for the handlers rather than the dog basically being like, the bites are all runaways. You know, most of the time you're not even allowed to send the dog on fleeing suspects anymore in a lot of jurisdictions. No confrontation in a bite, no judging of the grip and the power of the dog, as long as the dog stops when sure. he's called off and outs when he's told. And it's and there's no decision well, making by the handlers. In fact, in some yeah. in a lot of the certifications, the handlers are still taught to send the dog down range when the suspect is shooting. Should have gotten. Yeah. No, I agree, and I think, I think certifications are a whole, a whole, a whole yeah. other hour we could talk about. Right? And and even the training of you know, there's not enough decision making training where the handlers under stress. You know, we talk about putting a dog under stress, but we don't put the handlers under stress. So, but to wrap this back up, you know, and go back to the the release part of it. You know, in in summary, I mean, I think we talked in the first one about you know, understand where the dog came from, understand. The, the training, the, maybe even if the dog's got a title or not a title. And then if you're a trainer and you're presented with a, a dog either in your own unit or they come to your training group and they don't want to release, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but basically what you're advocating is don't just concentrate on the release. Look at all the small things before and after the release, and the release is a small part of it, and it's the the mental mindset. Yeah, correct. And, and assess why the dog's probably not releasing. You know what I mean? Like, you've seen it. The dog goes on a bite. I say, hey, handler, come on up and pet him while he's on a bite. Yep. And the dog avoids yeah. the handler the whole time. Well, uh, uh, guess what? Chances are when that handler is in proximity of that dog, he's not going to out. So you need to you need to lots of look at lots of reasons for why the dog may not be outing and then sort of explain that to the handler and then start going through the systematic skill teaching that allows the dog to let go. I think if a dog can cap, that's crucial. And again, people need to educate themselves on what capping is. Dogs can cap prey drive. Every predator can cap prey because we see that in nature. Any predator that sure. can't cap sure. will die. It's an existential technique. They just, how do they learn it? How many times do you think a, a lion cub misses a little baby antelope until it figures out that it's got to yeah. keep it in his yeah. pants until he's close yeah. enough? 
to pounce, right? So that's capping. With that predatory stock, that predatory pause waiting to pounce. Now, one thing we have to see when you look at the National Geographic videos, those predators never take their eyes off the prey. So looking away at the handler is obviously not capping. Not staring at the prey is not capping. There's a tension in the body that is almost hypnotic. And if you don't see any of those things, you're probably not doing capping. So then the next thing is the easiest way to do capping is in prey drive. So we start there real easy, just equipment stim, blah, yep, blah, blah. The- and then once the dog knows what it feels like to hold drive in, we start other stuff. We add the intensification of frustration. We maybe add a little defensive component. We may add a little pain stim. Whatever we want to add that we need for that dog to functionally bite, we need to add slowly. But And all the time going back to that dog in that very first position of, of staring and being yep. kept. So. And that's for us, that's crucial because... Imagine a dog that's been on missions, right? He walks up to a building or a compound and they're going to breach, right? So the dog is middle or back of the stack. The dog lays down. The dog sees the breacher go into the door. What does that mean? That means that the door is going to go boom and then open and then he gets the bite. And he's done this over and over and over, right? Yeah. You know how stimulated that dog is when he sees oh, yeah. that picture? Yeah. At this point. Then comes the call dog up, and, and that's before they blow the door. And then he hears the big explosion. And the dog's still supposed to remain quiet because we can't let him bark sometimes and not bark other times. That's just too confusing for the dog. So we want them silent for all of it with highest anticipation and highest stimulation. And we can do it. And that's why it's not hard for me with those dogs to teach verbal outs because we have to have the, the capping control everywhere. Sure. And, sure. you know, it, and I think that's what, what people, I think they try to uh, maybe shortcut some of the, the things or not mm-hmm. pay attention to the, the little things that we've talked about on that. So, and Jeff, some, think, something else, they don't go back. It becomes convoluted scenario training. And we ask the dog to out under very difficult circumstances. I think that's an important progression, but every once in a while, we need to make sure that he can hold that down at a foot away from the exactly. decoy legs and reward him for it, not just always add more, add more, add more, because at the end, what is the dog being rewarded for? Searching through a building or doing, like say we do CQB, we do 15 room CQB, the dog has to down at least 13 times and wait for a door to open for him. Like if you never get rewarded except after the 15th down, the first 14 become really frustrating and annoying. And why wouldn't the dog then yeah. bubble over and bark or whatever? So every once in a while, they, they get something in the first room. Every once in a while, everybody stacks up outside. And I walk out the building. Instead of him being sent in, he gets the reward mm-hmm. at the back of the stack, laying still and being quiet. Sure. Because those fundamentals are also important to revisit. And I think... That's a problem in tracking. I know you teach a class on, on tactical tracking, but in tracking, once police dogs track like police dogs, every track is blind, every track is to a bite. Yeah. It becomes very, oh, very sloppy where every once in a while, for me in my tracking class, I talk about this all the time. You have to go back fundamental foundation tracks to make sure that the skills that are perishable don't go away. 
Because if the dog always learns by winging it, and it's the same with all training. So in the bite work, in the aggression control part, if the dog does a really good verbal out in a complicated scenario, just go back and make it real easy. Let him beat the decoy up. Make, make the decoy lay down. Make him feel safe. Make him feel like yep. he's really kicking this guy's ass. And then tell him, oh, yeah, you kicked his ass enough. Now let him go yeah. and look at him all beaten up there. And then give him another bite and then slip him the jacket and end it. And it's, it's really important yep. that we keep the dog's mind and psyche in mind as much as we keep our own. We don't want to fail. But we ask the dog to do things that feel like failure to him. Giving up something that he worked hard for is a very difficult thing. And every once in a while, you need to just tell him that it doesn't happen every time. No. Sure. So, sure. That's all really good information. And I think, you know, we've kind of covered a lot of, of release work. If it's okay, I'm going to put your contact information in the show notes because there's probably going to be some questions on this. As I get some questions, you get some questions. Uh, from people that are trying to do this, uh, maybe I'll bring you back on in a, a month or so, and we'll do some follow-up questions based just on on this specific topic. So. I've, I've done this lecture at Hits, and you, when you guys still own Police Canine Magazine, yep. it was one of the articles published in that, and I still have it up on our website too. So, yeah, yep, I had that. So yeah, so I'll put all your contact information and your website. You've got some good information on there. So if people like this and you're you're listening to this and either you have questions before you start or you start it and then you still have a few questions, reach out to me, you reach out to Armin, and then we'll post some of these questions. We'll get back together, answer some questions that maybe we haven't gone over. Sometimes Armin and I have both done this for a long time, so sometimes maybe uh, we forget a few things, you know, on, on a beginning stage if this is the first time you've dealt with, with this type of uh, training. So Armin, I appreciate you coming on. And as always, I thanks for being such a good friend to Hits. You've, you're always there. And when we, obviously, uh, this year in 2021, can't uh, get together again. The local local authorities in Arizona were were not working with us too much. So now we're looking to 2022, and okay. by God, we're going to do it in Orlando. So yeah, I'll be there. Yep. Yeah, well, so thanks, Ar- Armin. And I appreciate all your time today. All right. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Armin, for jumping on. I know you're kind of busy, but I appreciate Armin taking the time to share some of his knowledge with us. We went over a lot of stuff in those three episodes with Armin. So if you have any questions, just reach out to me, jeff at hitsk9.net. I'll pass them on to Armin, and likely we'll be able to do a follow-up show just based on the feedback we're getting and some of the questions. Armin's a wealth of knowledge, and it's kind of fun to pick his brain. So I welcome any questions you have. I will pass them on to him, and we will get them out for everybody to hear his answers to. Thanks. 